a reading of the first psalm. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. Jesus came down with the disciples and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea. Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to give you a little insight into um, my preparation. I don't own like those books, the joke books that they sell for pastors. I know y'all probably don't know that that happens, but 
unfortunately, it, that's what's out there, and you can look up Scripture, and it'll have a joke in there that you can tell, make everybody laugh. Because honestly, it's, it's easier to preach to people who are smiling. Do y'all know that? <laughs> Especially when, when the Lord drops words like these into your lap on a bright, sunny February day. You might wonder, what in the world are we to make of this? I found it fun this week to be pondering this text as I was thinking about buying an expensive boat. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Called to mind um, several years ago, the first boat I bought, I bought from a guy who was selling it for a Baptist preacher friend. Believe it or not, it was not as advertised. Um, He said, never been in salt water. I took it to a guy to have the water pump changed, and he called me and said, Dave... You put this thing in salt water, you got to wash it off. <laughs> I said, it's never been in salt water. I said, man, I can't even get the bolts out of it. So corroded. So, I don't know, maybe don't buy a boat from a Baptist preacher. I'm not sure what I learned from that. <laughs> the second boat I bought, I bought because that boat had become an ecological nightmare. It was leaving oil slicks behind me in the water. I am an environmentalist. In my belief, if you're a fisherman and a hunter and a disciple, you should be an environmentalist. Because if we're not environmentalists, we'll all just be dead, right? You know, we can't poison everything we drink. I remember my dad was a chemist and, and uh, worked for Bayer Chemical, and that was his viewpoint. He, he didn't want anything going down there, effluent trail that would hurt his grandkids. Those are ways of thinking that discipleship, discipleship invites us into. So I was struggling with the very first, you know, expensive boat I was going to buy. Because I, I, had, uh, I had told my wife that I needed to put a new motor on my boat, and she said, you should just buy a new boat. But instead, I didn't listen to my wife, and I put a new motor on it, and the hole immediately cracked and started having problems. And it just got to the point where it was beating me to death, and I was tired of it. And so I was struggling with words like these from Jesus. And words from the Old Testament prophets who told us that true religion is the care of orphans and widows, not a red bass tracker. I'm just being real. I mean, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to be prepared to deal with this kind of stuff in your own life. Because we know that what Jesus wants is for us to love our neighbors, to serve our neighbors, to lay ourselves down for others, to give, to share to be a people who are concerned about not just ourselves and the things of this world, but about the life of the poor, the life of the rejected, the life of those people for whom the religious people say, why are you hanging out with her? Right? He's just gotten in trouble for that. He just healed a man on the Sabbath and the rich people are ticked off at him. The Pharisees, the people who made money off of being religious, who liked to wear their long flowing robes in public, Things like that. Pomp, circumstance, got to have all of it. Jesus accused them of. So he's already made all them mad, so I guess he figured he'd just make it worse. (laughs) Some of those guys were probably in the crowd. But I remember going through all that, and I was standing out in the carport, looking at the boat I had, trying to decide what to do, and a fellow named Wendell Addison had come over to talk to me did his funeral a couple months ago. He was my age, phenomenal guy. And I was telling him, I said, you know, Wendell, I'm struggling with this. 
because I think about the people I could help with the money I'm going to spend on this boat. And then I asked myself, would I really help those people or would I just use that money on something else? And I'm struggling with that inside myself that wants to keep things for myself. Y'all ever been there before? Wise man once said that we can tell the nature of our discipleship by reading our checkbook log. It's probably right. But I don't want to hear that. (laughs) I wanted a boat. (laughs) So I'm looking for an argument that will support what I want to (laughs) do. Right? Just like every good preacher. No, that's not true. And Wendell's standing there and he looks straight in my face and he said, David, God wants you to be happy too. I thought, wow. I think that's true. I think that's true. So then I began to ponder things that I have in a different way. Do they give me rest? Do they give me chances to make relationships with others? I've had more than one deep conversation with a teenager in a boat. And I started to see that maybe what Jesus is talking about in this text is not that it's wrong for me to have stuff or even wealth, but that Jesus doesn't want my wealth to have me. Do you know the difference? When all we're concerned about is our investments, our possessions, our bottom line, and our neighbor suffers next door, and we know and refuse to help. If we're in that place, Jesus might not be at work in us yet. And we deserve that woe. But if we use the things that God entrusts us with, if we're good stewards of what God entrusts us with to enrich other people's lives. I told a friend of mine one time, said, I wish I could afford a boat. I said, man, you don't need a boat. You have a friend that has a boat. You can go with me anytime you want to. And that became part of how I used what I had. And I didn't realize that until I was reflecting on this text again. And I made a post about that on Facebook last night as I was thinking more and more about the conversations that I've had at 2 o'clock in the morning on a bass boat on Lake Wiley. And how much they mattered. And I began to realize that this text isn't about God wanting us to be miserable. It's about God wanting us to be good stewards and good disciples who use the thing that God legitimately blesses us with to serve others. That can be everything from your home to your company to your car to even your mind. We are all gifted with something. Some people are even gifted with poverty. One church father said, so that others can dwell with them and see their happiness and understand what hope in Christ really is. And I read a commentator who said, asked the question, does this mean God wants us to be miserable? And she said, no, it doesn't. 
What it means is that God wants to change our identity so we no longer think about ourselves as being affirmed or defined by the stuff we have. But rather that our identity becomes rooted in Jesus and the things that we have become tools that we present to Christ so that Christ can bring other people to himself through us. There are all sorts of ways that that can happen in your life. If you will use the things that God has entrusted you with to build relationships with other people, especially people who might not know Jesus, who might not have a church home, who might not have a sympathetic ear, who might not have anyone in their life that cares for them. If you use the things that God has entrusted you with in that way, I don't think he's speaking to you here. I think Jesus is speaking to those people who literally believed that because they had things, God had blessed them more than others because they were righteous and they were better than other people. And I believe that from the context because that was aimed at those people who criticized him for healing a man on the Sabbath. He was the poor who needed to be blessed by the presence of Christ. And they yelled at him for it, condemned him for it. How do we think about the things we have? How do we think about the things and the people that God has entrusted us with? It's okay for you to have things. But dear ones, it is not okay for things or the pursuit of things to have you. And I hope that you know the difference between those two things, because I don't think I can make it any clearer. And if you don't, come see me and let's talk about it. I might need to hear your voice just the way I needed to hear Wendell's that day. Because a lot of good came out of my decision to accept something was okay to have in my life if I used it the right way. Might not be exactly what Jesus was saying here, but given everything I've been through, I think you could probably understand why I've been wrestling with it that way. I think that's okay. But certainly there are words of comfort here for anyone who is struggling with anything in this life. There are words of comfort here for anyone who feels disowned by this world as if they don't matter. Because what Jesus was truly doing here, I think, is trying to get these people to identify with him. And to realize that all of the wealth in the world is meaningless without him. That he is the only thing we need. That He is the one thing needful. That He is the one person who can give our life meaning. That He is the only thing we can possess. As We can't really possess Jesus, but you get it, right? He is the only thing we can have in our lives that truly will transform us. I'll give you an example. I knew a guy in one of my churches that worked for a body shop at a dealer. He was the manager of the body shop department, whatever you call that. 
I should have asked Ken. He could have helped me. <laughs> and uh, he, drove a, he drove a car to church one morning and parked it in his customary spot. And it was a really nice looking car, you know what I mean? I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember thinking, man, that thing looks expensive. And in the back on the windows, it had chrome letters that said blessed across it. I thought, that's interesting. And so when I saw him, I asked him, I said, I said, when did you get that car? He said, well, that's not my car. I'm having to drive it so the people we reproed it from can't come get it in the middle of the night. <laughs> so, listen, what I want you to see is that is the mindset that Jesus was dealing with in his world and the same mindset that we have in our world. That no matter how far I put myself in hock, if I have a big, bright, shiny car, I'm blessed. That God has chosen to bless me with that. But God chooses to bless us in ways that are different. We can't just assume that because I have accrued something that it was God's hand that gave it to me. Because some people accrue things through unscrupulous methods and then hide in a shell of discipleship. They say I have to do whatever is necessary. But Jesus would call us to think differently. To not look at people and see their nice house, their nice car, their nice boat, their nice friend set and say, boy, they're really blessed. But to understand that the truly blessed in this world are those people who know Jesus. That's how I wrestled with this text this week. If you read it ahead of time and you wrestled with something different, I would love to know. But that's how this thing was poking around in my wheelhouse. I hope it's helpful to you. Saying it all in public was helpful to me. These are the things we're called to wrestle with as disciples, dear one. Being a disciple of Jesus is not easy. And many people in the world would tell me that I'm naive for thinking this way about anything. And Jesus is right. The more you are outspoken about the way He would have us live, the things that He would have us value the way He would have us love other people, the world hates it. They want us to be all about ourselves and all for ourselves, to get all we want. Just, you know, I mean, you know how it is. You cut on the news and they lead with the stock market half the time. Jesus just has something different for us. He offers us the chance to have our imaginations and our loves our tempers attracted and yoked to something far more beautiful, Himself. I hope you will receive that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.